Please do be seated. Well, today, uh, if you've been journeying with us over the last few weeks, you might well have discovered that today we reached something of a tipping point uh, in our teaching series, uh, the Father Heart of God, that we've been making our way through uh, over the last few weeks. In a sense, we're on the downward slope uh, today. Who enjoys downward slopes? Somehow much more enjoyable uh, than the uphill slope. Uh, Of course, we need to be careful that we don't get to the end and crash land. Uh, So we're trying to avoid that in our teaching series. But as we get towards the end of our series, we'll actually take us to the very first Sunday of Advent, which is only about three or four weeks away, uh, which means that Christmas can only be, what, eight weeks away now? Uh, What good news uh, we're we're all facing uh, this morning. But the finishing line, at least for this series, is coming into sight. And what I really hope you're going to discover this morning from our scripture reading is that it has echoes of all that we were thinking about two Sundays ago, if you're with us, when we were looking at the letter to the Galatians. But our journey this morning is slightly different because the Apostle Paul today is speaking uh, very specifically about a trap. And he's speaking about a trap which some of us may well already have fallen into in our Christian journeys or in our journeys of faith. And it's the trap of striving to earn the acceptance of our Heavenly Father. But the good news this morning is also that we get to discover the spiritual bolt croppers, if you like, that can break the chains that will be holding us if we have fallen into uh, that trap, the performance trap. Well, in our scripture reading this morning, which I'll read to us in just a moment, uh, the Apostle Paul, who, by the way, spent most of his life wrestling with fear and with judgment, with living as a slave to fear, so he speaks from experience, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and this is what he's saying. He's saying to the church there, I know of only one antidote. There is one antidote to the slavery mindset, and it's this. It's to have an encounter with God the Father through the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit. That's the only um, antidote that there is to getting out of the trap which we may find ourselves in. What we discover this morning from our scripture reading in Romans chapter 8 is that the Holy Spirit is absolutely crucial in this journey of faith if we're going to avoid getting stuck. Paul is saying to us today that those who are caught in the performance trap can only be set free by what he describes in verse 15 of our reading as an encounter with the spirit of adoption. An encounter with the spirit of adoption. And he says, if you have that encounter with the spirit of adoption, then you'll be led to a place where you can cry out, Abba. Do you remember that from a couple of weeks ago? Abba, literally meaning daddy or meaning father. Only then, Paul says, can you break free from the performance trap, or what some people have called an orphan spirit, or what our Bible reading this morning rather provocatively but deliberately calls spiritual slavery. Romans 8.15, a key verse for today, for you have not received, so Paul tells us what we've not received, you have not received a spirit of slavery so that you live again in fear. And then he tells us what you have received, but you have received the spirit of adoption. You've not received the spirit of slavery, but you have received the spirit of adoption by which we're able to cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. Paul says to us today, if you've come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you run into the arms of your heavenly Father, thinking back to the prodigal son a few more weeks ago, you do not ever need to fear judgment. 
What a great sentence. If you've run into the arms of your heavenly Father, you need never fear judgment. And I do think that's an incredible thought, especially living as we, as we do in a world where there's plenty for us to be worried about and plenty for us to be fearful about. According to one really reputable source, the Sun newspaper online, <laughs> climate anxiety and COVID anxiety syndrome, it's got a name already, COVID anxiety syndrome is rapidly becoming the bread and butter for mental health practitioners. The climate crisis and COVID anxiety. These are the issues, especially young people are wrestling with in our day and age. Now, maybe that's a wrestle for you. Maybe that's something you're fearful of. They're the big issues. But my guess is many of us probably could raise four or five fingers on one hand to say, do you know what? There's other things that provoke fear in my life. They might not be as big as those things. They might include those things. But there are other things that cause me to feel fear. What I want us to do this morning is listen to Paul's argument um, to what some people have described of, and I, I have to agree with them, Paul speaks out these words, and it's been recorded as the greatest chapter, Romans chapter 8, the greatest chapter ever written in any book. Well, that raises the bar high, doesn't it? The greatest chapter ever written in any book. Now, what we're about to hear contains some pretty complicated theology. I warn you, uh, fortunately for us, we're only reading half the chapter, but I am going to try and make sense of it for us this morning. So if you've got a Bible, Romans chapter 8 uh, is where we're going to be looking. I'm just going to select a few verses from uh, verse 1 through to verse 17. It says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And then listen to these words, verse 11, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit, which is alive in you. Now, these opening verses are dedicated to expanding and illustrating this mind-blowing truth that as Christians, we're invited to stop striving and instead to live life in the Spirit. Paul is sharing these verses up to verse 13 in order to get to the point where the rubber really hits the road in verses 14 through to 17, where Paul declares how it's possible to not only know in our heads, but also experience in our hearts this adoption as being a child of God. And he says the only possible way for that to happen is by the Holy Spirit being at work within us. Verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship or to daughtership. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. 
You know, one of the reasons why I think this is the greatest chapter ever written in any book is because Romans chapter 8 contains conclusive proof that Christianity was never supposed to be a remote and an arm's length uh, religion. Romans chapter 8 proves to us that we're invited into this intimate relationship with our Creator God. Now, I'm not going to labor that point because I hope you've heard that message really clearly in our teaching of this series up to this point so far. We thought about that, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago, that mind-blowing reality that God chose me, He chose me to be part of His family. God adopted me, you can include yourself in this as well if you like, God adopted me and you into his family. What an amazing thought. And you know, that thought is absolutely crucial. It's foundational, if you like, it's a pillar of our faith. And Paul goes to great lengths to try and drive this truth home uh, to the church in Rome, just as he did to the church in Galatia. But more than that today, Paul in Romans is also wanting to kind of underpin this amazing truth that one of the primary reasons why God sent the the spirit of his son Jesus into our hearts is that we would know at a heart level and not just intellectually that we are children of God. We're not slaves controlled by fear, but we're children assured of an abundant love and of lavish grace. I wonder if this morning you find that thought shocking or comforting or unbelievable, or maybe all three of those things. You know, I think it's really important this morning that we don't just skim over the surface of what God is saying to us through Paul's words this morning. What Paul is saying is an absolutely shocking statement. The message that Paul shares here would have been profoundly shocking to his hearers, especially those with with Jewish ears. In fact, so sacred was the name of God in their, in their culture that Orthodox Jewish tradition would dare not even speak out the name of God, believing it to be an unutterable, that's ironic, unutterable name. The Jews would simply whisper out the consonants under their breath because they were too fearful to speak out the name of God. And yet here is Paul saying to us that because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, because Jesus died, because Jesus conquered death, because Jesus conquered the grave, all of that changes. And Paul is saying no longer do you need to whisper the name of God, but instead you can cry out confidently from the very core of your being, not God, you're my master and I'm your slave, would you please judge me? But you can cry out, Abba, Father, not master, not boss, not ruler, not, um, not chief, but you can cry out, Daddy, with God on our side, how can we lose? Well, Paul goes on to argue that at the end of Romans chapter 8, if you remember it, because Jesus loves me absolutely nothing. Nothing, the living, the dead, angelic, demonic, today, tomorrow, high, low, thinkable, unthinkable, COVID or the climate crisis, important as those things are to resolve, absolutely nothing can ever get in the way of my love to God and God's love to me. Nothing because of Jesus. What a shocking, unbelievable, and comforting thought that is. You see, what Paul is saying in a rather complicated theological kind of a way in Romans chapter 8 is that it's that knowledge, it's that relationship that can uh, free us from a fear of God's judgment. It's that relationship that can free us from a life of striving. You can be released this morning. If you find yourself in the performance trap, you can be released from that place today of feeling that you need to earn the love of God. I wonder if that resonates with some of us today. Do we have a sense that we might be caught in something of a trap where 
We're trying to earn the acceptance, the love of God. I know I can find myself in that place far too often. The late great uh, theologian Jim Packer, who died a couple of years ago, has an amazing quote in his book, which is called Knowing God. And he says this, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make of the thought of being God's child and having God as their father. He goes on to say that if this is not the thought that prompts and controls their worship and their prayers and their whole outlook on life, then it means they do not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. And then he's got this amazing quote to finish. He says this, Father is the Christian name for God. Father is the Christian name for God. And that's how we're invited to relate to God, by his Christian name. Father, Abba, Daddy. You know, one of Satan's great strategies, and and we've got to say it's a very successful one, is to try and prevent people from enjoying the freedom that's already theirs as the children of God. Satan absolutely loves it if he can try and convince us that we're slaves and therefore we start living slavishly, and if he can deceive us that we have to earn the love of God and earn the Father's acceptance. And Paul is saying in Romans chapter 8 that when we get deceived in that kind of a way, we find ourselves oppressed. We're oppressed by what he describes as a spirit of slavery and of fear. Interesting, isn't it? Those two things go together, slavery and fear. Fear and slavery, they often go together because they're interconnected. Now, you probably noticed in our text today that uh, verse 1 of chapter 8 begins with the word, therefore. And whenever you see the word, therefore, in Scripture, you have to try and discover what it's there for. It's there so that you'll look back to what's come before, but also discover everything that's come after it and is about to be said. So what has been said already in this letter to the Romans up to this point? Well, if you flick back a few pages in your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 6, you discover that Paul tells us there that if we've come to faith in, in Christ, if we've died to sin, in other words, become a Christian, then we're called to no longer live in sin. That's the challenge of Romans chapter 6. But then Paul goes on in Romans chapter 7 to get really, really vulnerable and to share with us from his own personal experience that living the righteous life, living the sin-free life is actually humanly impossible. Maybe you've discovered that to be true in your own life. I know I have. And if you have discovered the the secret to living a sin-free life, then please come up and and take over because what you've got to say is far more interesting than anything I've got to say. And that's the fateful dilemma, isn't it, that Paul was wrestling with. God tells me not to sin, and yet I still do. You know what's missing from Paul in his writing is this. Ah! Can't quite understand why he didn't write it. But that's definitely what he's feeling. The problem, Paul says, is the weakness of our humanity. Although we desire to do what is good, evil is always right there with us, isn't it? Maybe you know the problem. The good I want to do, I don't do, and the bad things I don't want to do, I do do. Can you say that back to me? (laughs) The good I want to do, I don't want to do, and the bad things I don't want to do, I do do. There's an awful lot of do-do in that sentence, but maybe that's the problem. You see, all of this makes Paul feel understandably exasperated. Chapter 7 of Romans ends just before that, therefore, at the beginning of chapter 8, with this desperate cry. What a wretched man am I, Paul says at the end of chapter 7. Who will set me free from this body of death? I've tried everything and absolutely nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope, Paul is saying. 
Now, had Paul have ended his letter at that moment, it probably would have been one of the most depressing things that any one of us could ever have read. Why? Because we can identify with Paul in the wrestle, and that ought to make us depressed. Well, thankfully, Paul goes on to answer his own exasperated rhetorical question, and he says, the answer is found in Jesus. The answer is found in Jesus. What a wretched man am I. But thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, Romans chapter 8. What a wretched man I am, but thank you for Jesus. Therefore, let's begin Romans chapter 8. And the first thing we see in Romans chapter 8 is that no condemnation now do I dread. What comes before the therefore at the beginning of Romans chapter 8 and is then unpacked throughout the rest of the chapter are some of the most encouraging words in the whole of the Bible. Summarized brilliantly in verse 1, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you see what Paul discovered here? The agony of Paul in Romans chapter 7 is replaced by rejoicing in Romans chapter 8 as he discovers that Jesus is the solution to the otherwise irreconcilable problem of sin. Well, if Romans chapter 8 is the greatest chapter ever written in any book, then Romans chapter 8 verse 1 is probably the greatest sentence that has ever been written. Therefore, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation now I dread. Isn't that just the most brilliant sentence that any human being can ever speak out of their own lips or out of their own heart experience? I'm broken, I'm fallen, I muck up, I sin, I deserve judgment from God, but the fateful dilemma is resolved. I no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying grey cloud Jesus has set me free. In fact, Paul would say, because of Jesus, that cloud hasn't just lifted a bit temporarily, but in fact, the cloud has been evaporated. It's gone. And of course, all of this, if we've come to faith in Christ, ought to be a relief to us. God has done all the hard work that needed to be done to deal with the sin problem. Because of the cross, sin is defeated. You know, one of Satan's greatest threats that he has over any one of us is that we would find ourselves in a place of temporary or even permanent separation from God because of our sin. And it's a trap that Satan loves to set, and he hopes that like a little mouse, we'll just walk into the trap and the door will shut, and we'll find ourselves stuck there forever, spending our lifetime striving to please God. But when Jesus gave his life for the sake of sinners, that ultimate power of sin was defeated once and for all. Striving in that moment is therefore over if we're in Christ. Fear of condemnation from God has gone if we've come to know and love Jesus. Now, of course, we continue to struggle daily, don't we, with with sin. Paul, Paul acknowledges that in our text. But we no longer need to live with that sense of fear and dread of judgment. In fact, you know, no child ever should live their lives with a sense of foreboding dread. No child. And I sense this morning God would say to us, well, if you're a child of mine, if you're a child of God, you definitely should not be living with that sense of dread. In verses 1 to 4, Paul is so keen to make the point that if it is sin which is dominating him through his flesh, then the only solution to that problem is something greater than him must come and empower him. The solution, Paul says, is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, this is great, which is the same power, the same power, verse 11, which raised Jesus Christ from the dead. 
I love the message translation uh, of these verses. It says this. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, then he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, you're delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. Isn't that great? The death of Christ has delivered us from condemnation and from judgment because all of that has been dealt with in the death of Jesus on the cross. No condemnation now, I dread. Died he for me who caused his pain. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my God, should die for me? Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. No condemnation now, I dread. The Apostle Paul, Charles Wesley, Chris Brockway, and most importantly, the Holy Spirit, trying to drive home a truth this morning. In Christ Jesus, you need feel no condemnation. You're invited to experience it. The second thing we discover, verse 15, is that you can approach the throne of God boldly. Bold, you can approach. In Romans chapter 8, the the term spirit occurs 21 times, depending upon the translation of the Bible that you're reading. Now, that means that it's about every two verses the word spirit is is used. Guess what the main theme of Romans chapter 8 is? You see, the Christian life is essentially a life that's lived in the spirit. It's a life which is animated and sustained and directed and enriched by the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what Paul is saying in that key verse in verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave to fear, but you did receive the spirit of sonship or of adoption. A life lived in the spirit is a life lived in freedom. What's really interesting in the text this morning is nowhere does Paul say that the Romans needed to receive the Holy Spirit. Nor did Paul say here that they needed to receive more of the Holy Spirit as if they hadn't already received and possessed that Holy Spirit on the day they came to faith in Christ. The question on Paul's lips for the Christians in Rome was not whether the Christians of Rome possessed the Spirit, but whether the Spirit possessed them. The question wasn't about having the Spirit. Paul is actually saying so clearly in our text, it's a given, it's guaranteed you receive the Spirit. If you've come to faith in Christ, you received it from the very moment of your conversion to Christ. Now, I think that's a really important thing for us to understand this morning on this theme of adoption, that Paul is not referring to two separate experiences of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8 on this theme. What he's not saying is, first of all, you believe in Jesus, and then later on, at some point in the future, the Holy Spirit will come along and assure you that you've been adopted into the family of God. Paul is not saying that there's some second subsequent blessing after conversion in which we receive the spirit of adoption, but rather he's speaking about an event that happens at the very same time that you choose Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. So what is the role of the Holy Spirit, according to Paul here? Well, the role of the Holy Spirit is to make the objective fact of our adoption of children of God a subjective reality of our experience. The Spirit you receive, you already have it, does not make you a slave so that you live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you received, you already have, has brought about your adoption into the family of God. Now, what does all that mean? It means we can stand tall together if we've come to faith in Christ. 
It means we don't need to cower. It means you're a son. It means you're a doctor, a, a, a daughter, rather. Sorry, I was looking at Anne when I said that. Uh, you're, a, you're a daughter of your heavenly father. You're not a slave. And therefore, you do not need to live in fear. Charles Wesley again, bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Point one, no condemnation now should you dread if you've come to faith in Christ Jesus. But point number two, boldly you can approach the throne of your father in the sure and the certain knowledge that as a son or as a daughter, you'll be welcomed with open arms and you'll never ever be turned away. Nothing can stand in the way of that embrace that God, your heavenly Father, loves to give you as his child. And then thirdly, by way of application, we get to verses 16 and 17. This is the bit where the chains fall off. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs. Now, I can tell you from my own life experience, I know how easy it is to fall into that trap that Paul is speaking of. I know how simple it is to start living a driven life that's based on performance rather than a life that's in a a joy-filled experience that's based on position. Do you see the difference I'm trying to speak about there? Many of us live our lives based on performance. If I behave well before God, then I'll be accepted. But Paul is actually saying here, your position is already guaranteed if you're a child of God. Paul is making the point about as clearly as he can that transition from slavery to sonship is only possible because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So how does all that happen in your life and in my life? Let's get really practical as I finish. If this morning I find myself in chains, if this morning I'm not experiencing the kind of freedom that Paul is speaking of, how do I get free? If I don't know the Holy Spirit assurance this morning that I am already a child of God, if I'm living my Christian life slavishly today, then how do I find freedom? You know, the Bible calls this spiritual state slavery, and we're told consistently in the Scriptures to avoid it like the plague. Why? Because the permanent state of the heart of a slave is fear. The permanent state of a slave is fear. Fear of punishment, fear of judgment by an evil master. If you're a Christian this morning, fear should not be your permanent heart state. So what are these spiritual bolt croppers that can deal with the chains we might find ourselves in? How do we get to that place of verse 16 where the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God? Earlier on this week, I had the amazing privilege of climbing a mountain with Toby, our 16-year-old. We went up to the Lake District, and on the second day, we decided we'd climb the Old Man of Coniston. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever been up there. And as we climbed, I discovered something that I'd never, ever knew existed on mountains before, and they're called an army of fell fixers. Fell fixers. Of course, in uh, Bournemouth, we think that that's the Royal Bournemouth General Hospital, the orthopedic surgeons, don't we? Fell fixers. <laughs> don't worry about it. You'll get it later. But anyway, on the mountain, we came across this group, this army of people. And what did they have? They had in one hand a shovel and they had in the other a brush. 
And their job was to climb up the mountain and come down the other side and to clear out the rain gullies that have been put into the mountain to stop the path from washing away every time the rain comes. And every time they came to a gully, they'd dig out all the the stuff that was filling up that gully and they'd chuck it to one side and then they'd sweep out the gully and it would be perfectly clear. The job of a fell fixer is to do whatever it takes to allow the water to flow and to deal with the blockage. And I just wonder for some of us today whether we need a fell fixer. His name is Jesus. He'd love to minister to us this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit and perhaps clear out some blockage in your life that maybe is stopping the flow of the Spirit from just enabling you to fully encounter what it means to be a child of God. You know, if you've come to faith in Christ today, Paul makes it clear that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is already at work in your life. It's already at work. You are already a child of God. Perhaps today there's some blockage. Now, I don't know what that is for you. I know for me when there's a blockage, sometimes it's some wrestle or some sin that I've been trying to deal with and maybe not doing that very successfully, probably trying to do it in my own strength. Maybe for you there's been some life experience or some difficulty or challenge that's happened which actually just creates a a, a problem. It's just a wrestle for you. It's an intellectual wrestle to try and accept that amazing truth that you're an adopted child of the Heavenly Father. And as we close this morning, I want us to do something really brave. I'd love for us this morning to allow ourselves to be open to a work of the Holy Spirit this morning. To allow God by His Spirit this morning to clear out whatever the blockage is. To come along with His brush, with His spade, with His shovel to clear things out. Perhaps there's a blockage. And today's the day. Today's the day when that gets resolved. My chains fell off, clunk, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed me, Lee. Would you, would you pray with me? And as we pray, we just, Andrew, would you mind just praying for us? We're just, this morning, going to invite the Spirit of God to do an amazing work in our hearts. To come and deal with a blockage. to tackle that thing. I don't know what it is. Whatever it is in your life that might mean today you've not fully experienced what it means to be a child of God. To be able to say, I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I'm not a slave. might just be this morning you just want to open up your hands just as a sign that you're ready to receive from God whatever he might want to do in your heart today Holy Spirit the same power that raised Christ from the dead who is already resident in our hearts Lord fill us full to overflowing Speak that truth to our hearts and to our minds today that you love us lavishly. That your grace is sufficient even over those things that we've been struggling with for the whole of this week. Maybe even we've been struggling with for the whole of our lives. 
there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. And just maybe in these few moments of stillness, God might just want to speak to you about one particular issue. And if you're feeling condemned today, then know that that's not of God. But it might be today that you're feeling convicted about something which might well be of God. Just allow him to minister you just into these few moments. Holy Spirit, reveal to us the blockage might be. Paul's therefore at the beginning of Romans chapter 8. It's conditional on accepting Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Maybe today. That's what God is challenging you with, to accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour for the first time. Maybe today he's saying to you, you've wandered away from me. Why don't today, why don't you recommit? His arms are open wide. Would you run into them today? I'm just going to pray just a brief prayer. And if you want to just echo this prayer in your own heart, by praying this prayer, you can commit or recommit your life to Jesus as Lord and Saviour this day. And as you do this, just be reminded of that amazing truth that the Spirit of God will come and take up residence in your heart in this moment. You can pray, Lord Jesus, I'm trusting in your death. I'm trusting in your resurrected life for the forgiveness of my sins. Come into my heart. Make me your child, your son, your daughter. My choice from this moment is to live in relationship with you. Holy Spirit, fill my heart with that truth. Therefore, because of Jesus, there is no condemnation. Maybe for others of us today, the challenge is to lift our heads up high as those who have already trusted Christ as Lord and Saviour. To stop living the timid Christian life and instead to, to run into the arms of our Heavenly Father who welcomes us. Bold you can approach the eternal throne. Thank you, Lord. Maybe just this morning you'd be willing to run into his arms and just hear him speak into your ear. You're my son, you're my daughter. All that striving, 
all that earning can cease. Maybe for others of us today, it's about those spiritual bolt croppers. Maybe there's something in your life today which is just a chain that just holds you. Pray, Holy Spirit, come minister to people this morning and break the chains. Would there be the sound of clunking chains as those things that bind us get broken and we walk into freedom? Really sense this morning for some of us that's about an habitual sin. It's just that thing that we keep getting stuck with over and over and over again. This time, Holy Spirit, come break the chains. We're not slaves to fear. We're children of the living God. We choose to live that way. So Lord, thank you for the work that you've begun in us today. Lord, we want to pray, would you continue that good work and lead us on in a relationship of intimacy. In Jesus' name.